what you're doing is you're creating not only a huge amount of pressure on yourself, but you're also making it such that the way that you're thinking about and judging the opportunities in front of you is very black or white, yes or no. Whereas I think what we come to see, especially in people who successfully and happily make transitions, is that there's a lot of gray area in the middle and that it doesn't have to be an extreme one way or another. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. And we're going to get very deep into... How you can try out new crew paths with minimal risk in a relatively short period of time. And then we talk about the six different type of what we call experiments for test driving new careers and then how you can actually choose one and apply them to fit your situation. And all of this is so that we can help you validate a new career path to move ahead smartly and leave that old baggage behind. That way you can get going already. And we talk about dead man goals by the way, and what they are because <laughs> you, you, you don't, you don't want them as it turns out. So what they are and instead learn how to make goals that allow you to grow and learn and face uncertainty all at the same time, as well as breaking down whether being wrong is actually a bad thing or not. And when it is, when it isn't. All right. All that play more in, in our conversation. Since that's happened, we have seen more and more questions about how do you test drive? How do you figure out if something is a great fit for you? And you know, one of the things that I really appreciate because of my background in economics is this idea of how do I manage the risk? You know, there is a lot of risk and a lot of uncertainty that comes with making a transition. And for the people who come to us, like the smart, ambitious, top performer folks, that's a really important question because they don't want to be making a an ill advised decision. So I cannot wait for us to get into all the different things that we have to talk about today to make that as clear and as simple as possible, if not easy. So what we're, what we're actually going to do today is we're going to take you through six different ways, six different ways to design an experiment, six different examples, in fact, of what we've called our test drive method and help you ideally to be able to create and understand how to create and design some experiments for yourself. That is, that is what we want for you out of this deal. But I think in order to do that, we need to talk about why people are so interested in designing experiments in the first place. And then also what we really mean when we say design an experiment as well. So, uh, why, why, why do you think this comes up? First of all, I know that we've had the request again and again and again, but why do you think people have really latched on to this? What are, what are they wanting to get out of the concept of designing an experiment? What do you think, Lisa? You've heard this again and again. Yeah. Well, I think that the people who are in our community are people who are observant and people who are smart and they have seen other people in their networks, in their communities, try to make career transitions of their own. And sometimes that looks like somebody who is you know, burning the bridges as soon as they cross them. And they are saying, I'm done with this business. I'm done with this company. I'm done with this. And try to make something happen that's really dramatic. And they're varying a little success to that. Sometimes people are able to make it work and hustle and find a way forward. But it feels a little bit more like it is throwing spaghetti at the wall to see if something's going to stick than something that is thoughtful and clear and calculated. And so one of the things that makes the idea of creating an experiment so interesting and so nice is that it helps you to better understand what your assumptions are about the type of work that might feel really good for you without necessarily, you know, betting, betting the whole farm on it when you're making that transition and getting that reassurance and validation that what you think is going to be a really good fit for you is going to be a really good fit for you so that you don't end up in the situation of moving into a new job or starting with a new employer and then realizing that you have your six months into this new position and you've accidentally brought all of your old baggage and all of your old complaints and all of your old frustrations with you from the old job to the new job. So finding a way to move forward that doesn't also bring all the old discontents with you and that allows for you to expand and grow and step into something that's going to be so much more fun for you 
without having such huge risk and such huge fear around that, that it keeps you from making a move forward at all. That is, that is incredibly important. I also think that the subtle piece there about moving forward and not making sure that you're actually bringing the right things versus bringing baggage over uh, into that new career move is possibly the most important piece. Because I think so many people are interested in designing experiments, at least initially, from the perspective of they're afraid of making the wrong move. And a very, very subtle distinction, but it's that's something that we have worked really, really hard to be able to help people reframe that idea of right versus wrong when you are exploring, and I'm definitively going to use the word exploring, and, and trying to decide what uh, what could be a great career move for you. So how do you think about that whole right versus wrong thing? Because I know you've got very strong opinions on this, and we've had many a discussion on it. Oh, it's so true. One of the things, and I think I talked about this a little bit in episode 147, is that when you're thinking about making a career transition in terms of this kind of binary operating system of right versus wrong, what you're doing is you're creating not only a huge amount of pressure on yourself, but you're also making it such that the way that you're thinking about and judging the opportunities in front of you is very black or white, yes or no. Whereas I think what we come to see, especially in people who successfully and happily make transitions, is that there's a lot of gray area in the middle and that it doesn't have to be an extreme one way or another. But we are complicated, nuanced, multidimensional human beings that have a lot of different needs and a lot of different values and desires and figuring out how to best prioritize those in a way that feels really good for you and works really well for you is something that you can't necessarily do between a right and a wrong framework. Because the answer that's going to be the best fit for you based on what your values are now, what your family is needing now, what you're wanting to grow and expand into, and the types of risks and opportunities that you're looking for has to be, has to be more nuanced than that. And I was listening to a podcast the other day that Susan David was on. She's the gal who, um, who wrote the book Emotional Agility that is out right now, which is just phenomenal. And she had this concept that I thought was so great uh, called dead man goals, where she talks about any time in our lives that we are seeking to essentially avoid being wrong, avoid pain, avoid uh, falling down, avoid not getting the right answer on the first try, are dead man goals because they are essentially impossible for living, breathing, sentient beings to have. Because if you are going to be trying something new, if you're going to be allowing yourself the growth and the space to expand and, and learn, then you have to expose yourself to a little bit of risk at some level there. So rather than thinking about things on this binary right or wrong framework, I think that the reframe of creating better goals for ourselves around learning and growing and embracing that there's a little bit of uncertainty that's going to be a part of this process no matter what but that you can also set yourself up to test and understand that uncertainty better through some smart structured experiments and test drives like we're about to talk about can be really, really important. And the other thing that I think is important, and Scott, I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on this too, is the idea of wondering what, what inside of you is pushing your brain towards a right and a wrong framework. Like what is it that you're afraid of in being wrong? Is being wrong a bad thing? Is guessing and not getting it completely perfect the first time necessarily a bad thing? And if it is, what kind of opportunities is that limiting you from having the possibility to expand and explore? You know, when we were kids, we used to try things all the time and mess up and, <laughs> and not get them perfect. And it was totally fine and embraced as part of the process of growth. And I know that for so many of our listeners, growth and having more chances to learn and to become an expert and to try something new and to keep having that novelty and that fun of having something come across your plate every day that challenges you and pushes you is part of the fun of being alive. And so wondering what, what the deeper fear is underneath the, the fear of making the wrong decision is something that I think 
grappling with can be really, really helpful and really, really healthy for anybody who is on the precipice of making a big transition. But tell me, tell me what your thoughts are about the fears side of things. Yeah, I was thinking about that as you're, as you're talking about it. And, you know, I, I think that at least in the U S and also a number of other, number of other countries too, we have (laughs) through schools, through, um, how a lot of companies are set up and a number of other areas created or maybe maybe destroyed i don't know whichever way you want to look at it that that childlike ability that uh, that you're looking at and we have given and put a whole bunch of reward on being right or doing things perfectly or not making mistakes and Unfortunately, any type of experimentation, which is where you learn, and possibly if you're looking at uh, at it just from a life growth standpoint, like your ability to grow as a human being requires that you're making mistakes. If you're not making mistakes, you are not learning at the highest rate, period. Like one is impossible without the other. And uh, and if we are if we're looking at those two juxtapositions a little bit on one side you've got hey we are rewarding as a society in many different ways the that perfection and that lack of mistakes and everything else but for us to move along as human beings and ultimately feel any level of happiness on an ongoing basis it requires it requires that constant learning which requires actually making mistakes on a regular basis and especially uh, making big leaps and bounds around our career and what's going to be a, what's going to create a really good situation. It it requires that it requires it, that imperfection. It requires that uh, that going into it and essentially having having wrong situations happen in order to do that. So I think when you look at that way, uh, you can start to understand why designing experiments or creating test drives are so much. Uh, more effective of a way because you can go through here's here's the thought process behind behind all of this when we, when we do it with with our clients and we do it with our our career change boot camp students then you can actually go through and essentially speed up the learning process and that is the intent here is to design an experiment so that you get the learning without having to be in a job for like four years or something else and then to go spend four years of your life. And in fact, it's even better. I, I believe it's uh, better and I'll be interested in your opinion on this too, Lisa, but I believe it's better if you go through a bunch of them and you know maybe you've spent a week or two weeks or a month or maybe even three months and it doesn't work out because that means that it saved you potentially years, many years of your life, especially if you have them in, if you do two, three, four, five of those that don't work. Wow. Guess what? You just saved like 20 years of your life right there that you now don't have to worry about, which I think is fantastic when you're looking about it that way. But what's, what's your take on, on that side of it? Yeah. Oh, totally. I think that being willing to put yourself in a position where you might not be as immediately successful as you want but in a much smaller contained capacity, like trying an experiment, as opposed to making a big transition into a brand new job where you start, you know, all of this learning curve and then realizing after you've been there for whether it's a year, six months, sometimes even within the first week, that it's not the right fit. And you have completely uprooted your whole life and all of your routines and your patterns and everything. That's a lot of risk to me. And that seems really scary. And if there are ways that you can just bite off a little chunk of that fear and a little bit of that uncertainty and test it out first to help make really strategically informed decisions in the future, then that seems like the best thing you can do for yourself. So I'm excited to get into our six different ways to design an experiment like this. But I think there's, I want to throw in uh, a curveball here of, If you are needing a pre-experiment experiment, experiment, meaning you're in a position right now where you're comfortable in your job, but you are not happy, you are not joyful, you are not experiencing that growth and expansion and whatnot, but the comfort is really nice and the golden handcuffs of a really nice salary feel like it's too good to leave, then you might even need a precursor to these 
these six different ways to test drive, which is re-exposing yourself to opportunities to learn and grow and get rejected in a smaller capacity. So maybe that means going to Starbucks and intentionally ordering the wrong drink to remind yourself of, oh, this is what it feels like when I screw up and make a mistake. And here's how I can rely on myself and trust myself to fix it. Or let me call somebody in my family by the wrong name to feel that momentary guilt and panic of, oh gosh, I didn't do it right. This is, you know, quote unquote wrong. But it reminds you that you can survive that and that discomfort is fine and that everybody makes mistakes and that with that, you can gain the trust and courage in yourself to start taking on some of these bigger and better and even more helpful test drives. So I, uh, I try and make that a part of my everyday life. And I'm curious if you've done things like this too, but even yesterday I pulled a shirt out of my closet that, uh, that honestly, I'm not that comfortable in, but Alyssa bought it for me and she really likes it on me. And I, <laughs> so, but I've kept it around because of that. And, and I put it on and immediately, like I felt super uncomfortable, <laughs> but I kept wearing it and did it intentionally because I do not want to get too into my comfort zone because that is where you stop. That's where you stop growing as a human being. And if you can devise those small, very, very low risk things like wearing a, I mean, what's going to happen if I wear that shirt out into public? It's not even like not nothing, right? Who knows? Maybe people will like it um, besides just my wife, right? But whatever that is for you, I think that to your point, I, there are even lower scale ways to build up to these experiments. If that's something that that is, if we go through these and if you feel a huge amount of apprehension thinking about any of these, then I would say start smaller with one of these even mini experiments. Yeah, I'll share a quick, quick tale about a mini experiment that I did. So I was, uh, as many of our listeners have probably already heard, I was working from Bali for a couple months this year. And one of the things that that became an opportunity for me to do things wrong and to get rejected was that in Bali, the traditional way of getting around, their social norm is that almost everybody has one of these sweet little Vespa-like scooters. Everybody. And you use that to go from point A to point B. People barely even walk there. It's only the tourists who walk, which is sort of funny. But I realized if I wanted to get the true Bali experience, I was going to have to get myself on one of these damn scooters and make it work. And I had a ton of these limiting beliefs around myself of I... I'm not very coordinated. I don't have any balance. I'm so afraid of scooters. There's like a poor sweet ex-boyfriend of mine who like got to hear all of my reasons that being on a two-wheeled powered vehicle is a terrible, terrible thing. And yet it was something that I needed to go and do to be able to function in this environment. And did it have anything to do with career? No. But was it a way that I had to put myself into a high growth, high learning environment in order to get access to other things that were important to me? Absolutely. And it was a really humbling experience to remember, number one, that I was not actually good at it from the get-go. But number two, I could seek out help. I took lessons. Um, And number three, that I could make it. I could make it at the end of the day. And that the things that I believed about myself were all just limitations. And they were all just stories I was telling myself. I was just as equally capable of driving one of these freaking scooters as anybody else. And once I started peeling back the layers on my own fear and resistance and hesitation there and just let myself get in there and cultivated that confidence in this other unrelated part of my life, it has spillover effects. And so I hope that for, for you who are listening right now, if there is something like that in your life, that's a little thorn in your side of something totally not related to career, but that can help you to remember your own confidence and your trust in your ability to take on something new, not be super great at it at the beginning, but find a way forward, then that's going to set you up really well for tackling these six items or whichever of these six items resonate most with you. That is perfect. And I'm sure that if you've listened to any of our back episodes, we've talked numerous times about how you can build tolerance to discomfort and what is, what is uncomfortable now 
as you build that tolerance over time with things like writing a Vespa when you're not a Vespa person or you're considering yourself not a not a Vespa person or wearing shirts that you're not super comfortable with or whatever it happens to be for you, then as you do that more and more in your practice, you actually build that much like a muscle. And that once once you have done that, things that we're going to talk about right now here with these six different examples become so much easier. Okay. All right. So let's assume that at this point you've already worked up to that. Now let's talk through each of these, each of these different examples, and we'll give you a little bit of a story to go along with each one here and help you understand how that they work. So this first one, we are dubbing what we proudly call the social Goldilocks approach, the social Goldilocks approach. What is that? How would you describe that, Lisa? So this one is a, a tactic that is inspired by uh, a fabulous student and client of ours named Laura. And she was, so when I think about social Goldilocks, the name comes from the idea of tasting a whole bunch of different bowls of porridge to see, is it too hot? Is it too cold? Or is it just right for you? So we think about this as Lauren going out there and talking to all the people in all the places. Laura did a fantastic job of identifying all kinds of different sectors and organizations that could be really interesting for her to make her next step. She knew she wanted to make a pivot. She knew that she wanted to be seeking out an opportunity to grow and to have new challenges based on some of her old past skills and past experiences, but pivoting them in a totally new direction. So she was willing to put herself out there, be brave and vulnerable and bold, and call up people in all kinds of different companies and roles that she was intrigued by to have conversations about what was that organization's culture like? What does a day-to-day, you know, day on the job, day in the life of look like for an employee who works in that type of a capacity? What are some of the things that they love? And she had a fabulous question that she was asking everybody, which I believe, and Scott, Scott, remind me if I'm telling the story incorrectly here, but I believe was something to the effect of what types of skills make somebody really good at this particular role? And when they would tell her like, oh, someone is really successful in this role if they are innovative and willing to push the envelope and willing to hear a couple no's in order to get to yes and things like that. And she could validate that with her own knowledge about her own signature strengths to say, okay, does this sound like me? And does this sound like they're describing somebody just like me and that I would have a lot of fun in this type of role? Or are they describing someone that maybe I know, or maybe I could be, but not the person that I want to step into being in this next phase of my career. And so she did tons of these different conversations and was able to, you know, start honing in and getting closer and closer to that perfect bowl of porridge throughout these conversations. And, you know, even as of this morning, I think she had some really, really fabulous news for us about how that was going and that she is in a, a, an awesome position because she was willing to have those conversations and seek out people's candid, honest feedback about what life was like in their roles without necessarily having that same sort of like hungriness in her eyes when she was talking to them that some people have when they think about the, the typical informational interview. The conversations ended up being much more candid, much more real, raw, and honest. And that helped her to make such better decisions about what would feel really good for her. This is, I think one of the reasons that she did such a phenomenal job at it is she went into this very curious and looking at it truly as an experiment. She wasn't going into it, looking at it as, Hey, how do I get a job at this particular company? She went into it looking to validate, Hey, do I even like this company? Do I even like this particular role that this person is in? And really trying to measure that with what she had identified she had she wants out of out of life and out of a career. And then after she got done with the experiment, she was able to say, hey, these things line up really well. These other things, not so much. And then it was very the cool thing out of, of this is she'd already done a lot of the work building relationships with all of these companies. So, I mean, it was easy for her to be able to go back and say, well, hey, there's these two organizations that I'm really excited about. Oh yeah, I already know people there now, <laughs> miraculously. Ding, ding, ding. And and then she was able to go through and actually be able 
to talk to them about roles that weren't even posted yet. And you're going to get to hear her full story on a future episode of the Happen to Your Career podcast. So hang tight for that. Lisa's like, Lisa didn't know that. So she's like moving her arms up and down here. <laughs> she's oh, excited. So happy. Her story is so awesome. And it's, it's just it's so validating to see people that we work with like grabbing the homework by the, like taking the bull by the horns and diving in and then seeing this level of results. I cannot wait for her to share her story with the HTYC family and community. So get excited over there. And if you're wondering about some of the back context for how she, how she actually did this and how she called up uh, people in companies, well, it was very, very simple. She would do a bit of research on LinkedIn to identify who might be the person that she is most interested in talking to. And that is fairly easily available on LinkedIn. And then the other thing that she would do too is any place where she had a, what we call a weak tie connection. And I think, um, that that's not something that we made up, but I can't recall who, uh, who did weak tie connection being if, if, you know, I know Lisa and Lisa is, uh, Lisa has, uh, you know, she works for a company necessarily and I get hired at that company. That's not a weak tie. And that's not where most jobs come from. Actually, it's not necessarily from your friends. Uh, or your family or anything else. In fact, what most, most roles come from, especially the roles that are more hidden, if you will, are going to be, I know Lisa and Lisa knows somebody else and possibly that other, other somebody else knows somebody else too. And that's usually what we call a, a weak tie. It's not somebody that I know rather well. And yeah, it's from the world of mathematical sociology. It was uh, something that was studied and, and coined in the seventies. But that has started to really gain more momentum, especially now in this day and age where we have tools like LinkedIn, where you can actually map out other people's networks to see a little sneak preview of what weak ties someone else might have access to so that you can make really strategic requests for introductions and warm connections to other people. So think about it as not your first level connections, but your second and third level connections. If you're going with LinkedIn terminology. All right. So. She, she did a fantastic job of that because she would identify some of those people that she had weak tie connections with and ask for introductions as well to those people that she actually wanted to talk to. So that worked out very, very well for her, partially because she was building relationships at the same time. But the bigger value, I think, for her was to go through and understand, hey, you know what? This this porridge is too cold. It's no good. <laughs> this porridge, it's too hot. Oh, wow. Hey, I've talked to 20 different organizations and it turns out a couple of them are really just right. Now, how do I dive deeper there? Now that I've validated that these organizations, these people, these types of roles are really great for me. And, and one last thing to jump in and say too there is that part of this process had to be seeing what wasn't great and identifying what the cold bowls of porridge were. And that part of this test drive process is again, to get the data about what doesn't work for you just as much as what does work for you. I just didn't really have a thing, you know, that I felt like I was really good at. I always called myself a dabbler. Not only did Sarah struggle with the array of passions, but she also had some other setbacks. I couldn't walk anymore and bedridden for at least a year, probably closer to two. After she recovered physically, Sarah began searching for a job again and struggled quite a bit. So I felt like I kept having all these false starts, which made me feel like I wasn't really building much of a resume. I knew it was too vague, but it was because I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I just did never feel like I could reach higher because I didn't have the quote unquote experience, you know, kind of a thing. And that's where I think this course really helped. Now Sarah's talking about Career Change Bootcamp, which helped her realize that setbacks could still be positioned to find the perfect job. You don't necessarily have to have the same job description for 15 years to have it apply to a new position. Sarah was finally able to figure out what fit. I'm gonna be the operations coordinator for CASA, which is stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And then hopefully in the next year or so, bump up to the operations manager. Congratulations to Sarah on finding work that she loves. If you also want to figure out what work fits you and find that fulfilling career that lights you up and gives you purpose, well, you can find out how Career Change Bootcamp can help you step by step because, well, 
that's what we do. All you have to do is go to happenyourcareer.com and click on Career Change Bootcamp to apply for our next opening and next cohort. Or you can text my coach, that's M Y coach, to 44222, and we'll send you over an application and help you figure out if it's a great fit for you. Pause right now and go ahead and text my coach to 44222 being willing to be open to what is what is your inner self really truly saying to you and not just what you hear everybody else saying it should be well and if you think about it like a science experiment too then generally before you really i mean you set out your hypothesis and then generally you're doing a number of experiments in order to get one set of data that you then move forward with and publish right and it's very much the same here. Very much the same here. You're going to go through a number of things that aren't a fit, and that's actually okay. That means you're that much closer to validating what is a good thing. So uh, you might go through and talk to five companies and realize, wow, these are terrible fits. But then you can have learned from that and realize, hey, here's why they're terrible fits. Here's what I'm looking for instead. Now, how do I double down in these areas that are more likely to provide, you know, this whatever it is that I want? Additional flexibility or, you know, the creative freedom to be able to take projects and run with it or whatever it happens to be for you. So, yeah, great point. Now, here's here's the thing. With the social Goldilocks approach that we just talked about, there's a way to amp this up even further. And that's that's the next example that we want to go into here. So this, and we'll share a story about, uh, about how this works too. But think about this is now that you have, now that you've talked to all of the people in all the places and you've been able to call up companies and and talk about some roles and you determine, Hey, I think I have interest in this, but I still would be interested in validating this even further. How do you do that? What, what does that look like, Lisa? Well, if we think about this as being a, a scientist in your own life and creating hypotheses and creating experiments, experiment number two, tactic number two is the amped up follow-up. And what this was, we had a, another awesome client, Mike, who took a similar tack to, to Laura in the social Goldilocks approach of talking to a bunch of different people at organizations that he was interested in. And he had a much more narrow focus for the way he was thinking about what he was interested in. But what Mike did that makes his follow-up so amped up is that he would walk away from a conversation with a potential employer. And during that conversation, I've asked them questions like, what are you struggling with? What are some of the big vision questions that you are wrestling with for how to make the impact you want to make over the next year or the next five years? You know, what are some things that would make your life easier? And then Mike went and he did those things unsolicited, unpaid, just for fun, hearing somebody say, I have this need and here's a thing that we're trying to solve or here's a thing that we're better trying to scope. He would then go create a spreadsheet, create a, a piece of code, create an equation, create something like that. And then follow up with that person. You know, he might have sent a, a thank you note right after the conversation to say, thanks so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. And then a couple of days or a couple of weeks later, following up again to say, hey, you remember that thing that we talked about? I actually have been really thinking about that deeply. And I created this thing and I want to give it to you for free. Enjoy. <laughs> and being a hiring manager and sitting on the other side of that and seeing somebody who was so affected by a conversation that you had, who listened so well, and who is so excited about the work that you're doing that they go and actually start doing the work for you and then send it to you, says a lot of really positive, exciting things about what type of contribution that person could make if you bring them into your team. And if you want to hear Mike's entire story, you can go back to episode 174, where we have brought him on. But I, I thought this was so cool. And I've I've hired, I don't know, six or 700 people or something over the last 10 years. And I have rarely, <laughs> very, very rarely seen, uh, seen people do something like this. And it makes a massive difference in both impression. I, I mean, just like you said, think about it. If you're the hiring manager, somebody comes to you and like, Hey, you know, that thing that you told me was really valuable to you, but you just didn't have time to get to, or your team doesn't have the bandwidth right now. Well, I went ahead and did it. <laughs> And you already know that in, in Mike's case, he already knew that it was going to be incredibly valuable because he had taken the time to dig 
deep enough. But here's where, here's where it was even more valuable than creating really positive impressions. I think what was even more valuable is he told me, he told me in multiple times where he did some of that work and realized, wow, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is not something that I'm interested in and realized that if he was spending large amounts of time doing that type of work, it wasn't going to be a good thing for him. And that, that happened once or twice throughout the process. And that was, I think, far more valuable in some cases, sparing him years of potential grief in, in roles where he was stuck doing that on a more regular basis than even the small tidbits of, of positive things that he, that he learned out of that. And he, and he did get some very, very good reinforcement too. And of course, built some massive relationships through this too, because again, nobody does this. Very, very few people do this, even though, you know, we're trying to change that. Yeah. And there's so many people who I think come, come through our doors and send us emails every day saying, but I'm not sure if I'm going to like the work and what an easy way to talk to somebody, hear about what they're really needing, and then give yourself the time and the space to, without their knowledge, without their pressure, try it out and see if you enjoy answering the call, answering the need of what they have or what they've requested. And if the answer is yes, then boom. You know, that takes tons of agonizing and tons of questions off of the table and validates for you that, hey, this could be really great for me. And this was fun for me in this one context. And I bet it would be fun for me if I get to solve problems like this even more. You know, here's what was really interesting too. I have had I've had about out of those six or 700 people or whatever that I've hired, I had about three people that have actually done this. And out of those three, two out of the three really did not, they didn't do the project is what I would have expected as paid work. Like if I'm being really honest, like if, uh, if that project would have come, come in and we were paying them $150,000 a year or something like that, then I would have been less excited about it, but I wasn't expecting it. It met sort of the minimum need. And what, if I was paying $150,000 a year for that, what would have been a subpar project potentially in my mind was now like way above expectations. And that's the, because of where my expectations were set at the beginning. So it's really, really interesting. And I, I bring that up only to say that it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be perfect work because I think Mike could have labored on this for really, really, really long periods of time. And then gone through his head and said, Oh, geez, it's just not good enough yet. I can't turn it in. But instead, the more valuable thing was he got to try it out. He got to understand all the learnings that came from that decide, Hey, is this something I want to dive further into? Yes, no. Great. Fantastic. I've got my learnings. And then he got to add something that was really, really valuable because it exceeded expectations from the beginning, which were zero. Yeah. Absolutely. Such a cool way to make a lasting impression on your potential future employer. Um, speaking of ways to make lasting future yeah. impressions on future employers, shall we go to test drive experiment number three? Let's talk about it. This is called freelance experimentation, or we like to think about it is the paid research method. And here's, here's an example. Let's take Andrew and his story. So Andrew was working in different types of social media marketing. Well, he's working in a few different types of marketing period. Part of that was social media. And he was not totally satisfied with his, not totally satisfied with his company, not totally satisfied with his, his career. So he had determined, Hey, I know something's wrong here. I don't necessarily know exactly what it is that I want to be doing and where I want to double down. And so one of the things that, that he did is he actually started doing, started taking some of the, the tiny bits of skills that he had developed in his role around the fringe portions of his job with social media and began doing that for a friend's company on a freelance basis. So he was helping his friend. He was getting paid, um, paid what felt like a small amount to him. Although we figured out later, actually it was really high dollar per hour value because it didn't take him a lot of time because in this particular case, one of the things that he learned was he really liked having some additional creative freedoms and he got a couple other learnings too out of, out of doing this. But the really important part for Andrew, more valuable than anything else, 
was that he had another outlet to be able to design an experiment around. And this is something that allowed him to be able to try it out and even get paid a bit for it and be able to say, Hey, is this something I want to dive further into? And based on the learnings that I have, how do I want to dive further into it? And in his case, it was a, yes, I absolutely need to dive further into this because I've learned that I need to have some of these creative freedoms. And I have learned that, you know what? I actually like getting paid for doing this thing on a more regular basis. So that's, that's something that you can do too. And being able to go through, identify a place where you can get a very small project to start with and think about it as where are the low hanging fruit? Do I have a, do I, do I have a friend that needs this? Do I have, you know, is there a section in one of the companies from the vendors that I happen to happen to work with in my current company that needs a little bit of whatever, you know, whatever it might be, whether it's social media, whether it is, uh, you know, some other, other skill set on its entirety, whether it is taking a portion of what your current job is and that you already think that you enjoy and trying to flesh that out on a smaller scale project. Also, there's actually entire websites built around this, like Upwork and Fiverr, where for pretty minimal amounts of time, you can get set up on there and begin taking on small jobs. Yeah, I love it. And Scott, something you just sort of touched on that I want to flesh out is the idea of this paid research or this freelance experimentation tactic and applying it within your own current employment. Because if you already have a job and it's, you know, it's like a seven out of 10 on the scale of what you're looking for and you want it to be a 10 out of 10 and you like the culture and you like the organization, there are totally ways to make an internal change, an internal pivot to try out something brand new. Um, you know, in the, in the government, I think they call it a detail where you get to swap over into a new department, try out something that is a, an expansion where your past background and everything that you know about the organization can be brought in and applied in a totally new way, or then you're getting paid to do work in your 40-hour-ish-a-week position, uh, but you're getting the opportunity to develop new skills, try something out to see if you like it, and it can then create the springboard and the platform for you to make a bigger transition if you don't love doing it inside of your current organization and want to go elsewhere. Or it can be a really easy, simple, seamless way to solve the question of feeling unfulfilled, you know, itching for a new challenge, itching for something bigger to have an impact on within your current organization with minimal disruption to the rest of your life. I think that's incredibly valuable because usually the mindset around people, once they get to the point where they don't, they know that they don't want to be in their job anymore is I don't want to take on anything else. And when you get to that mindset where you're frustrated by one element or another, it, it closes you off. Uh, just, just having that mindset alone has a tendency to close you off from opportunities that are right in front of you, like what you're talking about, Lisa. And when you get closed off to that, then you totally miss those opportunities because almost every organization in the world is going to be willing to say, Hey, yeah, you can take on an extra project. Sure. You want to do more and it's going to be valuable to the, or yeah. Okay. I think we can make that happen. Um, there's typically going to be some place where you can, where you can cross over and try something out and it doesn't have to be huge either. What do we have up next? Ooh, this is, this is a good one. So next up we have getting your foot in the door through volunteering. And you, you have a, you have a story that you have done this before as well. Yeah. And if you have listened to 147, this is probably a little bit of a rehash here, but the quick story is for my foot in the door volunteering experience, I was at a place of deep career dissatisfaction and trying to figure out what was next for me. And I knew that I loved helping people and that I wanted to get an opportunity to do that deeper and further. And I had applied for grad school. I'd taken the GRE. I'd applied for grad school to go and become a mental health counselor. But 24 hours before starting grad school, I had this little fear pipe up inside of my gut that said, are you 100% sure that being a clinical mental health licensed practitioner is the right way for you to do this? And the answer was no, I wasn't sure. 
And so what I did was I found a, you know, straight off the rack opportunity to do some volunteer work for free in my spare time above and beyond the nine to five to get a sense for, do I really want to take this on as a full 40 hour a week commitment? So I found the organization Crisis Text Line, which is a, an organization near and dear to my heart that I had been following for years and saw that they were accepting applicants for their crisis counselor volunteer program. And I said, you know, that sounds like as good a way as any to actually understand what it would be like to do the work of sitting with people and holding space for them when they're going through really, really intense, painful moments and helping them to, to become calm, become resourceful, understand how to take care of themselves in moments when things aren't okay. And it was funny for me because I loved that volunteer opportunity. I had such a glorious time doing that work, but oh my goodness, by the end of that, what I knew was that it affected me so profoundly and deeply and intensely in four hours a week of work that I knew that I just wasn't wired in a way that I could take that and turn that into 40 hours a week of work. But for yourself, when you're thinking about this foot in the door volunteering, what are some of the organizations out there that are doing the type of work or in the sector that you're really curious about? Do they have anything that is off the rack that you could apply for to, again, test out and run an experiment, be a scientist in your own life to see if that type of work feels really good for you? I have a a fabulous coaching client, Angie, right now, who is looking at doing something similar with a couple of organizations that she really admires who are needing people to step into some different communications capacities. And she has such a gift for communicating and being really sensitive and thoughtful, especially around health-related topics, that she's found a couple organizations who need exactly what she has. And now it's this process of matching up what she can do with what they need in a free capacity to see if it feels good and then developing those relationships that can then help her to turn that into a more paid capacity. That is, that is awesome. And I think that one of the, as you're, as you're talking about Angie, one of the things that occurs to me is with all of these, one of the commonalities is you can't allow the ambiguity here to stop you from trying. And I think that's what many people will think of, but how, but how, but how, well, you know, starting just like with Angie in that particular case, she took a little bit of what she knew and and applied that to try and identify some of those organizations. And then now it's going to be a case of approaching some of those organizations. And you know what? Some of them I'm sure are not going to work out and that's totally going to be okay. And that is, that is actually part of this process, which leads right into the next example too. And this is something that (laughs) I think because we have a podcast and we have a website and blog and things like this, then we've had a number of people become interested about and email us about. And this is what, what we've now dubbed officially the, the budding expert method. And you can think about this as developing expertise through different types of media. So think about this as, well, an example, like starting a side project with a podcast. That's what I did. That's how this business came into, came into being way back when. Now, uh, it could be also starting a blog. What's crazy to me is how many doors open up and how many people you get to talk to when you make yourself a member of media in any way whatsoever, which means you get access to information that other people don't get to have necessarily, which means you get learning. You also get you know stuff that potentially doesn't work out too, and it's no small effort. Out of, out of all of these, I would say that this is possibly the, the biggest effort or could be potentially one of the biggest efforts, but what it does for you is allows you to essentially trial and error building expertise in a particular field or area and through a blog, through a podcast, through uh, another type of media could be, you know, a YouTube channel or developing videos. There's lots of ways to be able to do this, but establishing yourself as, as an expert and forcing yourself to learn and forcing yourself to talk about others and putting yourself into the world in that particular way causes you to evaluate what are the great areas about 
what you're considering and what are the things that don't jive with what you're considering. And even if you are not actually doing the work, you're developing expertise and a high degree of knowledge about the work. And many times you get enough information to be able to make a good valid decision from there. What do you, what do you think about this? As you think about this, Lisa, cause you've been around a lot of people that have done this sort of thing. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting to think about it in terms of you, Scott, because had you not started the podcast, then you wouldn't have started to be recognized as this expert in the career change space. You know, you wouldn't have two of the top ranked career change podcasts in all of iTunes. And that might have meant that this business didn't exist or it existed in a totally different way. And it all had to do with you being brave and courageous and doing something without knowing what the return was going to be from it, just because it was going to be fun for you. And, you know, what an incredible life, an incredible chapter of your career. What incredible changes you've been able to create in other people's lives. Because four years ago, you and your friend Mark were, you know, being goobers and goofing around on podcasts (laughs) and wanting to record these conversations. Oh, my goodness. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, and you know what, here's another, and I appreciate that very, very much. And it may not have worked out. And actually even prior to the podcast was the starting of the blog, which truly was set up as an experiment in that way to decide, Hey, um, do I like blogging? Is this something that potentially could turn into a, a business in this particular expertise? So it was the original blog happenyourcareer.com was designed as an experiment. And it was just a really simple setup. And somebody else who's done the same sort of thing as well. If you go back to our archives and get, let's see, Dustin's episode, Dustin, and I'll look up the exact number here, but he actually developed a, a podcast around helping people with WordPress, which WordPress, if you don't know, it's kind of like the back end of most websites that are out there in the world. And it's a content management system. Think about it that way. Like it stores all the pictures and how the pictures get to put together with the words so that when you show up on the website, it actually looks the way that it's supposed to look. So he did this, but then as he went through, uh, and as he continued to create many different episodes of the podcast, well, he had decided he wanted to make a, make a career change. He was having lots of fun with this and eventually got hired by the company that makes WordPress because he had such a degree of expertise in it, which that, that company is, uh, it was founded by Matt Mullenweg and it's called, um, now I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter either way. Go back and you can, you can check out, uh, Dustin's Dustin's podcast and, uh, He's a great example of that particular method as well. But we have another one coming up too. Yes, indeed. So for experiment test drive, number six, for those of you keeping score at home, number six is sort of like intuitive and simple, but one that sometimes people don't think about, which is taking a class. And I think about this as the the Avery Roth, which is uh, one of the coaches from our team who also has a past podcast episode. And she was really curious about exploring being a professional photographer and learning how to create that level of of beauty in the work that she was doing. So she enrolled in photography school, but going and totally quitting your past job and throwing yourself full-time into school doesn't have to be that extreme for a way to run your own experiment. It could be taking a class on Udemy or Coursera or one of these other platforms that offers MOOCs or gives people an opportunity to put a specialized program from a specialized instructor online, like Skillshares of the world. And it could be taking class in person, honest to goodness, going and putting your butt in a seat at a community college or at a community center around and learning about whatever the thing is that you're really curious about. You know, maybe you have these secret dreams of starting your own jewelry store. I have a client who launched her own Etsy store, uh, making handcrafted artisan jewelry, and it is phenomenal. And if that's something that's intriguing to you, well, she took a ceramics class and she was loving her ceramics class and making all these cool little bits and bobs and then started turning them into these beautiful gifts and art pieces. So taking a class in something that you're curious about can be a fabulous way to test drive. Do I like this? Do I enjoy doing the work? Does it resonate with me? Does it feel good with me? Or is this something where for the cost of 
you know, whatever my tuition was, one college credit or one month's worth of Thursday afternoons, I've learned that this is fun, but this doesn't really feel like something I'd want to be devoting 40 hours a week of my time and my life to. That is that is amazing. First of all, I didn't know about the Etsy store, so that's that's even better too. I, as you're hearing all of these different examples, all of these different stories, here's what I would encourage you to do. We have realized after helping, geez, at this point, thousands of people make really big life changes because that's what career changes are. They're really big life changes, massive life changes. If you really, if you really look at it, and doing so, we realized that in order to do that, it is not, it's much more about the, the marathon, not necessarily the sprint, which means that you have to be able to develop momentum. So I would look at this and if you heard one that you're like, yeah, that sounds way easier to me, or I like that one, or I can, I can get excited about that, that other one, or I see a way in my mind for how I can make that happen. I would advise you to just go head on into that one, stop considering. And what we've also learned is that when you get stuck in your head, when you uh, are trying to evaluate uh, 42 different ways to be able to <laughs> decide exactly how I do this experiment, then that's going to cause you to do no experiment at all. And then you're not going to be able to learn anything. And that defeats the whole entire purpose. So we want you to be able to begin building that momentum because once, as you realize like how easy this can be and how much and how valuable uh, the learnings you get from it can can make the rest of your life and your career, then you'll want to do this more and in different ways and then carry it to other parts of your life too. What advice would you have for people as they're thinking about designing their first experiment and how to go about this, Lisa? Mm. My biggest advice is something that we actually wrote about in an article on The Muse a couple weeks ago, which is that Fear really, really likes to paralyze you from taking action. And one of the coaches that, that I love and that I have learned a ton from, Todd Herman says, fear cannot paralyze a moving target. So the gauntlet that I would throw down, the challenge I would throw down with you listening on the other side over there is, how can you start to put yourself into motion? You know, just because something is hard does not make it inherently more valuable or inherently better. Sometimes easy first steps are a great way to get that momentum train rolling and really start to help you develop that confidence and trust in yourself to be able to take on bigger and bigger challenges. So we've outlined these six different tactics, the social Goldilocks, the amped up follow-up, the freelance experimentation, foot in the door volunteering, the budding media expert, and the taking a class approach. And so I want to throw down the coaching gauntlet with you listening on the other side, dear, dear, wonderful listener to say, which one of these six feels like the right thing for you right now? That would be easy. And what can you do before you move on to whatever the next thing is that you have for your day, before you go into the office for work, before you shut this off to go to sleep tonight? What's the one single micro baby step you can take right now to move yourself closer towards accomplishing and achieving one of those things? Is it writing one email to somebody to have a coffee conversation? Is it looking up classes that are near you? Is it going to the organizational website of your favorite nonprofit or your favorite uh, company that you've been following and sending them a pitch or sending in your application to do a volunteer project? Is it going and putting your, your account up on Fiverr or Upwork? I want to turn all of this great knowledge into action because that is one of the biggest things that we see differentiates people who successfully, happily make these transitions from the people who are constantly consuming more and more information and using the, the knowledge seeking as a delay tactic and as a way that their fear is secretly popping up and, and derailing their progress. And, and we, we don't like derailing progress as it turns out. We like the learning. Wow. We less like the, you know, derailing progress. That is that yeah. is phenomenal. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Pick one of those out. And if you want, if you want to be able to get all of the stories that we shared and all of the all the people that we've talked about and be able to see it in one nice little PDF download, then go over to go over to happenyourcareer.com forward slash two oh six. And you'll have everything about this episode and can also download the full thing in 
in a sweet little PDF. That way you can take it and use it as first steps to design your own experiment and make it happen as it turns out. I love it. And Scott, one other thing I want to throw out there is if you're committed and you want to make a change and make it happen, one of the things we talk about within the article we wrote for The Muse is getting accountability and telling people that you're doing this thing. So if I can personally be the accountability buddy to you, and you guys want to send me an email at lisa at happentoyourcareer.com and let me know which of these challenges you're going to take on, what the first step is, I would be so honored and so excited to get to support you, cheer you on, add any other resources or suggest any other things that might help make this faster and easier for you that I possibly can. So I want to offer that up as an opportunity for those of you who are serious about making a change, because we would love to be a part of your success story. You heard it here first. I absolutely love it. Lisa at happentoyourcareer.com. Lisa, thank you so much for making the time. You are in Hawaii, by the way. We didn't tell that at the beginning, but all the birds and everything that you've heard in the background. Yeah, she's just hanging out in Hawaii, you know, normal, and, normal Tuesday. <laughs> and Scott, one thing I actually was thinking about with being in Hawaii is that there has been a part on this this journey when I took my work and turned it into something that was location independent, where I felt like I really had to be apologetic. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm in Hawaii. So it makes and that time not. zones really, really challenging. And I, you know, I really want to take care of you, but I'm actually asleep during those hours. And what I recently realized is that the more that I hide from the accomplishment and the fact that this is the work that I created, the more that I, as a coach, may not be standing up to my own values and my own integrity and having my clients, you know, shout who they are from the rooftop and own it. So thank you for giving me an opportunity to say that I'm actually really proud of all of the ways in which I transitioned my business from being based in Washington, D.C. to being something that I could take with me and travel so that I could honor my values of spending more time with friends and family who have so graciously scattered themselves across the globe and getting to take more advantage of the adventurous side of myself. And has it been challenging? Oh, yes. I am sure that there are students in CCB who are, you know, have felt a challenge of not being able to get an immediate reply from me and having it come in 12 hours or 24 instead of in 20 minutes. But man, to be able to find ways through to live this life and to live it on my own terms and to treat this almost like my own personal career experiment for could I continue on and be location independent? And could I create a coaching practice where I coach from a different continent every couple months and find ways to help bring the minimizing of career dissatisfaction and the optimizing of career happiness to new people, new markets, new environments? is so fun and so exciting for me. So I imagine you too probably have examples of ways that you're running these little career experiments and being a scientist in your own life to this day and in this moment. So thanks for giving me a moment where I could step into my own integrity and own that it's been real hard work. I've had to get up really early, really crazy hours at points all throughout this journey, but that for me to get to serve people and help people in the way that I want, in a way that allows me to be 100% myself has been the most validating, awesome, cool thing to get to accomplish and now be able to talk about and help, help other people get to do too. We've found that one of the six keys to having an incredibly fulfilling career and a much more meaningful career is doing more work in your signature strengths. And in fact, We've also learned that you can even use your signature strengths as you're making a career change or as a, you're making a career transition. And we put together this pretty amazing guide to help you not only begin to be very clear on your strengths and discover your strengths, but also to use them as you're getting hired for the right job. Find out what most people miss about why strengths are so important and how strengths operate differently than what you think they do and why they are one of these six keys to doing work you love and four ways to get started immediately identifying your signature strengths. And you can do that by going to hiredforstrengths.com. That's hiredforstrengths.com to get started right away. Or you can text my strengths, that's M Y strengths, plural, 
to 44222. That's my strengths to 44222. Here's a sneak peek into what we have coming up in store for you next week. The reason arguments and disagreements fail is because we go in there with the wrong expectations. That's true about disagreement itself as a skill that we have. And so these misconceptions are are sort of incorrect expectations that make us feel frustrated because our expectations aren't met. All that and plenty more next week right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically. Even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios. I'm out.